it's welcoming anyone from sort of 18 to you know 80 is welcome in our venue and I feel that 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 love that we bring is is what our customers really love you know they love coming in there and just you know people knowing their name and there's a local atmosphere and um yeah and just eating great food (laughs) this is the deep in the weeds podcast I'm Anthony Huckstep The pandemic made everyone in hospitality rethink their business model. It proved challenging, but for some, the shift in operations meant they could create a new income stream and diversify the brand coming out of the muddy waters of COVID. What are the benefits to this new approach of hospitality? Hazel Burns is the co-owner of Dirty Mo's on the Sunshine Coast. Hazel, how are you? I'm really well. Thank you so much for having me here. It's good to get you on the show. The Sunshine Coast has really come alive um, in the last five or ten years. What's it like there? It's beautiful. Um, We have some of the most beautiful coastlines and beaches, and it's always been sort of this sort of – sad cousin to the Gold Coast in far as, as far as the, the restaurant scene go and the food scene go. Um, and But having grown up here, there's a love for our community um, that we've always had. And, you know, it's just been incredible to see it grow. And there's some great restaurants and some great people doing some incredible things now on the Sunshine Coast, which is super exciting because, you know, it's such a wonderful destination for tourism, but it's also just a place for locals as well who have just started to reach out uh, and travel and get to cities and experience some great flavors that they want to bring back here and so yeah it's it's exciting times dirty mo's is uh, part of the throng of amazing uh, venues uh, in on the sunshine coast tell us a little bit about it yeah, so Dirty Mo's really started back in um, 2015. We had a bit of a dream. Myself and my partner, Ben, um, he already had a restaurant actually um, before Dirty Mo's and we had gotten together and in 2015, we'd been traveling back and forth from Melbourne quite a few times and just seeing the back alleys of Melbourne City and experiencing some of the, the great food sort of um, from uh, Blue Bonnet to Le Bon Ton and uh, Fancy Hanks and all of that. So we were just in love with what Melbourne was offering and we kept coming home and just kept thinking like gosh there's nowhere for us to go and experience that here on the coast and um, being the fact that we both grew up here and Ben already sort of had cemented himself in the hospitality industry um, already and he wanted something a little bit different to do a bit of a passion project and myself I was sort of early on in my career as a paramedic and thinking that maybe I had this love for food that I wanted to explore more and so yeah it just sort of landed on our lap this um offer for a lease came up and it was actually well and truly way too early on we thought we were going to do this in sort of five years the pipe dream but it landed on our lap and we sort of yeah took it by the horns and and ran with it so we created dirty mo's and our whole dream was basically creating a space where you'd come around a corner and open that door and and walk into a venue that would just transform you into a different place you could be anywhere in the world and that was that was the vision and and part of that was really bringing people together with food um share food had sort of only really just sort of begun to have this market where we'd sort of transitioned away from that single meal and a la carte menu and we were really excited to bring something bring something new to to the coast um and there was the love of long and low and slow meats and um something a little bit different <laughs> well i want to explore what you're doing uh, at dirty mo's and, and what you've done in 
recent times as well in regards to COVID and changing of the business model. But take us back to when you were young. What, what sort of role did food play in your family growing up? Food was always a centre um, for us growing up. So um, mum and dad split up when I was fairly young and um, mum being sort of a single income uh, just required that she would be cooking sort of every night. So no going out, no sort of uh, takeaway or anything like that. But she just had this fundamental love for good food and wholesome food and bringing people together around a dinner table. It was one of sort of the biggest things that we had growing up was, you know, you'd, she'd have a garden out the back and, and we'd have the herbs growing and she'd teach us how flavours worked. Um, together and and we were very much encouraged to cook as young children and almost even take on a weekly meal um, and night a week and so yeah the dinner table just became somewhere that we would come together for uh, connection and stories and how your day was going and and so that was just really the the core fundamental of um of us growing up so I'd have to say like sort of my influence from food really came from mum and then we did some exciting travels. She took us out of school when we were 10 and 11, me and my sister, and we went over to Southeast Asia and we traveled for four months. And part of that travel was um, two months working in a orphanage, a children's orphanage up in the north of Thailand. Yeah, so it was, it was great. We sort of loved being out of school for those two months, but it also just opened our um, experience and our boundaries around what food could look like. So we very quickly sort of loved the street food. When we started down in the south of Thailand, we were on the beaches and my sister and me were getting caught on the cobs over the coals. And yeah, so there was just so much of that. And then sort of cooking at the orphanage, that was really encouraged. And I just, I remember as a 10 year old sort of with a wok in my hand and over a fire cooking this <laughs> stir fry for 20 people who were sort of working. <laughs> and yeah, it was, it was, that was the sort of the start of, I guess, just this passion for cooking for people. Um, not that I'm a sort of a, a great cook as it is. I think I'm okay, but I've learned some stuff off the chefs as the time's gone past, but it's, it's something about just preparing a meal and then just having people just thoroughly enjoy it. Just, yeah, that's definitely my passion. <laughs> Well, I'm not sure that I've spoken to many people that have been a paramedic turned restaurateur. Tell us a bit about that career and, and that shift that you made into uh, the hospitality sector. Yeah. Um, so I sort of, again, I've always sort of loved things that are a little bit different and having sort of lots of fingers and different pies, I suppose. Um, I've never wanted to do a nine to five job. So both of those industries really do <laughs> mean that we don't have to do that. Uh, so yes, I still work as a paramedic. Um, I still have that love and I don't know if I'd ever fully give it up. But um, yeah, the hospitality side, it was a bit of a shock actually. It's a lot harder work than, than you sort of think it is. <laughs> Long hours on your feet and lots of customer service. But no, it's it's something that I absolutely adore. And I think, I think to be honest, they go part and parcel. You know, you both both industries are really about that patient or the uh, customer that's coming in and, and really giving them just the greatest care or product or, or whatever you have going. So yeah, it's, it's a bit different, but we make it work. <laughs> uh, are there skills that you've um, transferred from um, your career as a paramedic into the role in hospitality? Yeah, I think, um, I think sort of as a paramedic, you're, you're sort of always in that high sort of stress um, world. And so I think that translates across well into the hospitality industry where you've got that really fast paced, um, yeah, hot kitchen and plenty of people in the restaurant. So it's, a, it's that same similar thing there, but I think it's um, just from, yeah, I don't know. There's something about just being there and 
being really present in the moment about what you're doing and yeah yeah I don't know (laughs) (laughs) tell us about uh the transitions that you've had to make and the adaption to COVID that you've made to the model with Dirty Mo's in the last couple of years? Mm, I think like everybody, the pandemic really threw everyone into sort of some new realms and um, people really had to adapt and adjust. Otherwise they were just going to fall by the wayside and the same thing happened to us, you know, being shut down and, um, Interestingly, we sort of had this model, the way that we do our meats anyway, we have initially when we started the restaurant, we tried a couple of methods around the low and slow and then how to sort of um, keep that going in the restaurant. And so one of the things that we did when we were innovating the way that we processed our meat is that we cryvac it all down so that it just keeps in that um, tenderness and the moisture. And and so that model really translated well and very easily over to what we're doing now, which is trying to commercialize that product into something that people can take home. Um, so sort of the, the backstory is we'd, we'd been doing some weddings for friends and we'd been taking the meat uh, the same way that we'd re- do it in the restaurant. And we've been taking it to these sort of off uh, site catering op- uh, opportunities like these weddings and realizing that we just didn't need a commercial kitchen and we were able to feed quite a lot of people very effortlessly and then um, Christmas sort of came around and we started getting these inquiries about people saying can we use your meat for our Christmases and we thought geez why not so we'd done a very very small sort of trial you know I mean I think I remember the first Christmas we only had about 20 orders but I was stoked and Ben was stoked just thinking like oh wow this could be something different um, and then when the pandemic hit we absolutely just thought maybe we should seriously think about this maybe we should run the numbers and and decide whether or not this is going to be viable for the future Um, and it sort of looks like it's going to be and so we have been on the long road of transitioning into just selling our meat um, through the restaurant so people can take it home in those vac sealed bags and then they can just simmer it in a pot of water for 10 minutes and and they've got this low and slow beef brisket smoked you know it's it's bloody delicious if I say so myself it's moist it's tender it's got that marbling through it um, and it's the same as what you would get in the restaurant and you can have it on your table at home Wow. Tell, tell us about some of the products. You mentioned the brisket, but what's, what's some of the other products that you're doing and, you know, what's required in that low and slow process for them? Um, yeah, so some of our other products, um, we've got a pork collar wrapped in bacon uh, with a maple glaze that we pop on that one. And again, that's just in that... Um, sort of low and slow process it's six hours in the oven it's um done really really slowly just so it absolutely falls apart when people put their fork into it um and it's finished off with sort of a pineapple and chili sauce um and again that one is really good you can simmer it in a pot of water just to heat it through with that cryback bag and then you can finish it in the oven or you can just have it as it is but if you finish it in the oven those bacon gets really crispy on the outside and caramelizes perfectly um and then i think my absolute favorite i mean everyone raves about the brisket but for me the the lamb shoulder is absolutely my favorite it's confit for six hours and it's got a rosemary salt coriander crust on it um and then that's got like a mint aioli that comes on the side as well and that one's you know that's a big shoulder it sort of comes in at about you know 800 grams to a kilo uh and it's all deboned so you just put your fork in and you can just yeah it falls apart (laughs) 
what's it like managing, you know, the restaurant side of things and feeding those customers and also creating these orders for take at home? Did things have to change a little bit in operations? Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think we're almost really at the capacity of our restaurant. Um, our space isn't isn't quite, isn't huge. And so we're realising now that with the demand of our um online customers and the people coming in through that side of things, we're going to have to start looking for some bigger space um, or sort of working towards getting a production facility in the future, which would be our dream really to to get this in a scalable way so that we can actually start offering this further than our southeast corner um, and into sort of more of Queensland and then hopefully in the near future down into New South Wales and yeah, over Australia, that would be uh, the best thing ever. Uh, COVID affected uh, businesses differently in different regions of Australia and also the world as well differently. Um, with with that sort of model ticking away, what what was the impact of COVID for you guys? Was it was it an easy transition for you with your business, or has it been a turbulent time? Oh, it's been turbulent. Um, I don't think anyone can stand there and say that they've had an easy transition. It um, it's a shock. It's you know, in the restaurant game and being a restaurateur, it's always small margins anyway. So uh, any sort of major kickbacks or that, it just, it hurts. Um, yeah, there's there was some definite times where there was some stress at home and <laughs> me and Ben were sort of really racking our brains on how we could make something work in um, in that time. And I think, I think we were really lucky that we already had something that was almost ready. Like it wasn't a full product, but we were able to pull together with what we'd already been doing. And then selling that through COVID really sort of helped us through. Um, And it probably was the thing that saved the business from sort of collapsing in that time Um, in those sort of, yeah, the early stages of COVID were were quite difficult. but yeah, I think I think what you've got to do is you've just got to learn to adapt, and I think that's just what we've done. And and there's always something that you can do. Um, I think as long as you sort of have that mindset and keep that sort of positivity and look to the future. And um, although sort of at the end of the day, your customer wants something different or that times have changed, you can still, people still want to eat. They still want to have those drinks. They still, there's still like a fundamental core value that we hold um, with anyone who's producing food. And that will be that we can service a customer um, and we can offer them something really delicious. And we've just now translated what they can take at the restaurant and what they have at the restaurant and they can take it home and do it in their own uh, living room and then even further to that we're we're sort of expanding that vision of where can people take our meat you know can they go off camping for the weekend and can they take our brisket or our pork or even our lamb you know and and they can have these delicious meals and this you know never have to sort of um give away with the quality of what they can take and so that's where our dream is now it's like let's just forget about the restaurant in that it's only where you can have great meals let's really push the boundaries and and look to where else we can supply people um so yeah that's sort of that's sort of the the vision's expanding i think and i think covid really did that (laughs) with with this with the expanding vision and um that developing has there been teething problems and challenges in getting these models right um given 
you know, you've only got a certain amount of space and you are expanding, is it? Oh, absolutely. And we've had some major hiccups along the way. Um, you know, the supply of meat in Australia has been pretty hard um, and getting the right brisket. We initially had this fantastic brisket that we were using and they just couldn't keep up with our supply. Um, and then, you know, trying to find another substitute for that brisket was a huge challenge. It took us months and months and months of going back and forth with different suppliers and um, because we're so adamant that our quality has to sort of maintain um, and we also wanted it to be ethically sourced we wanted it to be sustainable like there's a lot of key values that we hold before we'll put that meat on the plate um, and so for us it was just back and forth back and forth and finally sort of we've landed with a supplier that's got great brisket um, and they're in northern New South Wales and you know, they're specialising in uh, pure black Angus. Um, we've maintained sort of having a minimum of three plus marble score and they're, you know, long fled, uh, fed with specialised vegetarian organic grain. So all those things really ticked our boxes in being able to, yeah, maintain the quality of our product and then being able to deliver it to our customers. Um, but yeah, so it's not, def it's definitely not all been easy. There's so many things that trip you up in the way and, and our road to commercialization is a long one. Um, and we've still got a long way to go. <laughs> Most restaurants in Australia are family businesses, family run, and there's a lot of dynamic couples that run venues as well. What's it been like for you working with, uh, your partner in, in a uh, hospitality business? It has been um, a journey. Yeah, I can't say that it hasn't. <laughs> um, no, I think I think me and Ben work really well together. We're very different styles of working, um, but I think we've we've really nutted out our way of working together and we keep in our lanes and we support each other in stuff. But it, we're we're very good at sort of seeing each other's strengths and our weaknesses and being able to sort of pick up where the other person uh, falls off. So I think. It's a fantastic thing if you can make it work. You know, you're so, you already know this person so intimately. So it makes decisions sort of fairly easy considering that you know what the person sort of already thinks. And um, we're very similar. We, we lack the same things in, in regards to sort of our food and our taste profiles and things like that. So that makes it a little bit easier. Um, and I think his background in hospitality, he's been in hospitality now for 13 years. Um, and so he's got that, that wealth of knowledge that is really great to draw from um, and then I think I'm sort of the one who who dreams the big dreams and tries to sort of push boundaries a little bit. <laughs> What are things looking like in the next couple of years? We have had the turbulence, but everyone seems to be pushing through. What, what, what are your hopes for the region and, and for you guys in the next couple of years? I think um, my biggest, our, our biggest dreams really are just to be able to I think when we come back to what the, the core values are and why we're doing all of this is um, it's so much about the community. It's about bringing people together. It's about that connection that people can have through food. And so when we look into the future, I think that that vision just wants to be expanded out. You know, I think about the love that goes into all of our products and then the feeling of putting those products into people's hands and them sharing it with their friends and family. And that moment of having this delicious meal, but without all the fuss and the stress and the hassle of having to create it themselves. Um, and I think if we can sort of get more people to try the meats and um, and just to, just to experience that and then share it with their friends and family and just seeing that ripple effect sort of move across the country is just gonna be fantastic. And 
Yeah, I, I just think that we're on a path now where um, we're just looking to expand and we're looking for exciting new opportunities on where we can showcase our meats and our products and, yeah, as many hands as we can get these into and mouths that we can feed will be um, just wonderful. You mentioned that uh, many trips to Melbourne inspired the idea of uh, Dirty Most. Take us inside the venue. What's it like as a, as a customer? What sort of experience are they having? So sort of as you're coming around, we're tucked around the corner of Malulabai Esplanade. So we've got the beautiful ocean opposite us, but we're sort of down a little alley. And then as you're opening the black door and you're coming in, we've got recycled bricks, um, lining all of our walls and uh, a big bar with a copper bar top and um, back bar full of whiskies and bourbons and craft beers on tap and then sort of all of our tables and grouped together so they're all large sort of six to ten seater tables um, so we're really encouraging everyone who comes in and and eats at Dirty Mo's is to be sharing the meats and having the sides and just coming together just all of everybody sharing in that experience of what great food and great people and a bit of laughter and connection feels like. Um, we initially started Dirty Mo's sort of it was just two office spaces so we did a massive transformation and we walked 4,500 bricks up some <laughs> up some steep inclines and and yeah had all of that put in there so we've done a lot of work in the venue itself just to sort of create this real homey feel it just it's welcoming anyone from sort of 18 to you know 80 is welcome in our venue and I feel that 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 love that we bring is is what our customers really love you know they love coming in there and just you know people knowing their name and there's a local atmosphere and um yeah and just eating great food <laughs> well you've had an incredible uh, move into hospitality and doing amazing things in the, on the sunshine coast well, what do you love about what you do um for me i love the people i think it's all about the people for me i love hearing the experiences that customers have um and sort of some of the stories of where they're taking our food or um, some exciting adventures we just had a lady who'd been on a hike for three days and she'd taken sort of our meat up there and managed to have brisket burgers halfway through the first day <laughs> and so I, I just think like all those little stories of just the um yeah the unique ways people are experiencing what we're offering and that's that's the best bit for me um yeah i think it's just absolutely about the people and and the experience of what that food does yeah well hazel it's uh, an honor to have you on deep in the weeds today to hear just a part of your story and it's so great to hear uh, some success stories coming out of some turbulent times um please keep in touch and we'll catch up again soon thank you so much this is the deep in the weeds podcast I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.